You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love getting into the journeys of their lives and seeing how they got to where they are now because it's so often not a straight upward line. You know, there's twists and turns, trying things out. And I love getting into the details because hopefully that will get you out of your own way and make the choices that you want to make. On this episode, I have Hallie Bateman, and I really loved getting to know her. Her new book called Directions, Really Good Advice for Getting from Here to There, just came out, and I love it. It's super cool. Like, it's a great book to gift or just like have around and open to any page. It's just like a direction per page. So, um, yeah, we'll talk about it and so much more. And yeah, I love this conversation. I have a feeling you will too. Make sure if you haven't yet to hit subscribe. And if you haven't left a review, screenshot it and send it to me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I'll send you a little gift from my product line because those reviews really help a podcast become more found to reach more people to change more lives. All right, here we go. Okay. I like starting to hear about like how people grew up, but more like the teenage years where I feel like there can start to be this pressure of like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Whether that's from teachers and, you know, you need to apply to colleges or parents, or sometimes you have an internal dream. Were you someone like that knew what you wanted to do or thought you knew or like, did you feel pressured in any way? So I definitely didn't feel pressure from external forces, at least in my beyond cultural. Like my my parents were both writers who had chosen, like, especially my dad. My dad worked at, well, they, my parents both worked at the local newspaper in Northern California, this like very small town where I grew up and my dad was uh, he wrote a humor column and was kind of like, you know, a, a local <laughs> like celeb of this quirky town. And, and my mom was a writer there as well. And I, I think my parents certainly, uh, the only thing they said was don't go into journalism. It doesn't pay. <laughs> Which but, is what they were doing. Which is what they were doing. <laughs> they were like, there's no money in it. I, I, and, but, but they, they were so supportive and ultimately like just, you know, wanted us to, to be happy. And I never had the thing of they, them scrutinizing my grades. I was, I was kind of, I don't know how it happened, but I was just, I was friends with a nerdy gang of girls who were all like 4.0 students who didn't date, who were very late bloomers. And so my in my friend group, it was cool to get good grades, to be in marching band. So I was the peer pressure I felt was like all these really wholesome things that, yeah. <laughs> that I, I, I feel really lucky to have had those friends who were just honestly 
like encouraged me in the the direction of it's cool to to try at school and um and yeah I I thought during high school and I'm so glad that you start in teen years it's so interesting um in high school I I writing was always easy to me and was always something that you know growing up with writer parents they instilled in me like they they edited everything I wrote from a young age so I had a sense of writing that felt like I didn't understand why it was hard for other people um and had really encouraging teachers um towards that and so I kind of was like I guess I'll probably do something with writing but I I really didn't know and I I made movies a lot that was kind of my my thing um that I you know consciously thought of as something I might want to do I I thought I would be a film editor I went to UC Santa Cruz for my first year and I I kind of had that I would do film but I didn't have I, I, I it's hard to describe like it was a very loose concept I was like oh I make movies for fun I'll go to I'll study this and then I'll do that for a job but I I didn't see it as creative or like I I I don't know how to explain that. Like I made art for like, looking back, I'm like, all I did was make art. That's how I played. I would have my friends come over and make movies. And that was like my whole deal. But I never saw myself as an artist. Never. Like in those years, I, I would have rejected the term. Like you just did it because you really enjoyed it, but you weren't like, I'm going to be a filmmaker and like setting, like, I'm going to be like that person one day or like, I did not really enjoy this. And so I guess I'll go to college to focus on that. Like, was that more? Yeah. So I didn't, I was not like a film nerd. I didn't watch tons of movies. I didn't know. The only director whose name I knew was Alfred Hitchcock because my mom loved Hitchcock. (laughs) But (laughs) I, I went to UC Santa Cruz and, and took a few film classes and found myself in a setting where I was not comfortable. I I was like surrounded by mostly dudes, kind of the worst kind of dudes, like freshman film majors who are like. I uh, went to a film. I went to Columbia College, which is a, like most people that go there are film students. Oh. I was studying sound. I was I was a sound engineer in my first career <laughs> but yeah like but so I'm like I know that <laughs> I, like, okay. I can t- like I lived in the dorms of mostly male film students <laughs> okay so you know what I'm talking about so I I was like I grew up on a mountain so my life was like my friends would come over on the weekend we'd make a movie I would edit it we'd show it to everyone it was like funny a laugh like that was all I thought was just that the that it was fun to do. And I liked the editing part of it. And then when I got to the school, it was all about film. Like you, you didn't pick up a camera until your third year. And it was all about film theory. And everyone was talking about directors and these guys were, you know, everyone trying to prove themselves name dropping and, and, and analyzing. And I was just like, I don't know a single director. I've never even thought about this. Like I've never thought about who, made it or what the technique was or anything I just like didn't have that perspective on it and I I also just was totally 
that school was a wrong fit for me. I went to school with a bunch of people from high school. So I, I was, I was not happy there. And I wound up transferring to Puget Sound, which is a small liberal arts school in Tacoma. Um, and I, I transferred because I, the film thing I, I didn't like, the school was so big. I couldn't find my niche. I just felt like I will just be a member of the crowd if I stay at the school. And so I, I left and I'm so glad I did because the rest of my life started. <laughs> yeah. And how did you find that school in, in Washington? Is that Washington? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I'm like that. It's in Washington. It's near Seattle. It's in Tacoma. Um, I had actually, that school had been my first choice in high school. Um, I, I had like founded in a catalog and, and fell in love with it. And, and we just didn't get enough financial aid. Like I got into my dream school, but then we couldn't go. And, and all my friends were going to Santa Cruz. So I just, I just kind of was like, Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I kind of like, like told myself that I was fine with it. And then cut to like halfway through my freshman year at Santa Cruz. I'm like on the Puget Sound website every day, like being like, Ooh, I, I still wish I went here. And, um, and got more financial aid when I applied as a transfer. So it wound up being <laughs> like somehow my, that, that dream school was like where I was supposed to be. And um, so I, yeah, I transferred and, and for went like film, film was no longer like, I, I think my experience in those classes was, was off-putting. And I was like, Oh, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know if I really thought about it so hard, but I was just like, I don't belong here. Like this doesn't feel good. And um, I, yeah, I prioritized, like I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, I think I just prioritized, like I needed to be somewhere smaller where I would have space to figure that out. It's so good that you recognize that and then actually made the changes. Cause I think so many people just stay where they're not comfortable because why I already signed up for this school and I should stay here and (laughs) whatever. It was hard. It was a hard decision because, you know, my longtime friends were, were at that school with me and not all of them were happy about my decision. And I also had met the woman who's now still my best friend. Her name is Alice. I met her that year and you know, when you meet someone new and they show you a side of yourself that you didn't realize, Alice is really the person who showed me that I was an artist. She, she, like uh, all my friends and it's, it's my own, you know, you tell people who you are as well. So in high school, I would draw, but I presented my art in a way of like, ha isn't this so bad? Isn't this drawing so shitty? And that's what's funny about it. And that's why we are both laughing because can't you believe I drew this even though it sucks? And, and Alice really, I, I was this like really scared. Like I'd, I'd never kissed a guy. Like I was just like, I was a really um, scared kind of person. I was still very much like, straightening my hair and and dressing in the most 
in the way where I was just really trying to blend in. And I, uh, that had, I, I had been, we kind of skipped over this, but I was cripplingly shy as a kid and um, was actually voted most shy in eighth grade. I did not speak. If someone talked to me, I would not respond. I would just be like, I, I, I was almost nonverbal. <laughs> I had like a couple friends in school, but it was really, really painful. And it was a long process of breaking out of that. And so when I met Alice, I, 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 you know, was starting to break out of that. And she really helped show me like just that the validation of like, oh, you're funny. That's you're so uniquely funny instead of, you know, I think you kind of, I think maybe I had in high school grown to be the, you know, funny because I was ridiculous and and Alice showed me no you're funny because you're making jokes and you're smart and clever and like she just really showed me who I was in a way that I really needed at that time and she was the person who told me you should transfer I can see you're not happy that's okay we'll still be so friends she, okay so did you meet her in high school no mm -hmm. met her we, we we went to Santa Cruz for one year together and she's been Got with it. me so ever since. met her at Santa Cruz where you weren't happy. And then, yeah, she was sort of like giving you life in different ways. And then at the same time, like, yay, I met this person that I love and I'm like thriving in, in like, and I'm going to now move. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, that's like, that's the gift of, of acceptance of, of, you know, she wasn't, clinging to our friendship like she couldn't let me go she's like no I see that you need this and and we've remained so close and and she's she's influenced so much of what I've done just by how supportive she is and how enthusiastic she is and um has been just a huge gift to my life to have someone cheer me on from the point where my mom is the other person who cheered me on as an artist from a young age, but I couldn't, I couldn't see it from my mom. I, I thought she was blinded by her mom love. And so Alice had had a similarly powerful love, but I, it, it showed me myself in a new way. Looking back when you like think of those years when you were like so shy that you said that you couldn't respond like I don't know if you even like remember much of it like can you now look back and see like I mean I'm guessing part of it is like yeah you were just naturally shy and there's nothing wrong with that but do you know can you think of now like were there any like real like fears like you know because I think of course we all have this fear of being accepted this fear of being made fun of especially like that starts in you know youth and like then grows the teenage years can be really hard so like was it do you think it was related to that all, or what do you do you ever think about it well I do think about it there was a long time where I never let myself think about it because it was like block it out like truly truly the most like difficult part of my life was all of grade school like high school it started to get better but it was just um pretty miserable uh and I think what was going through my head was I I mean I grew up pretty isolated on a mountain so up in the boonies with my mom and my two brothers and 
you know, open, <laughs> open pastures. We had a ton of animals. We had this really lively place where I grew up that there was, there was so much going on and I was really creative and I was like loud at home. And I was, I was, I was myself and I was, you know, I was completely who I am. I, I mean, I was, I was just like making art, playing, you know, the way that kids play. I was, I was not shy at home. I would go to school and I, I was so afraid. I didn't know how to behave around people and, and didn't know. It, it seemed to me like kind of what you said, like anything I said, I would be made fun of. Um, I had a really hard time just navigating the tiniest interactions at school and was very much on the lookout for being being bullied or being like yeah being the victim of of bullying and um I really responded to how scared I was by just trying to be completely invisible and it worked a lot of the time, except that when you're that quiet, people say, wow, you're quiet, which is what I got a lot. I mean, being voted most shy was hellish. Um, yeah. Do I hope that you still don't do those things. Like, what is the point? Like most popular, most whatever. Like, <laughs> Have you seen the film Eighth Grade? Bo Burnham's movie? I don't think I have. The, uh, Bo Burnham made this film Eighth Grade, which is like so such a gorgeous movie and I was watching it and it was an out-of-body experience of relating to it she's voted most shy in that movie and I couldn't it was like watching my life and um and yeah I I mean I don't have like it wasn't like one thing happened to me and it and I was I was always I was always like that I don't know what it was I just felt like an alien like I was I was dropped into this world where I didn't know the customs. I didn't, I mean, I didn't like, we didn't get TV. Um, I didn't really listen to like the music everyone listened to. So even like earlier in my childhood, like I, I just, the kids were always talking about stuff I didn't understand. And I kind of based a lot of it also on, on appearance, like from a young age, I just like hated how I looked and was really, I mean, I remember from my earliest birthdays wishing to lose weight. And that's so, you know, sad to me now that I can look at a photo of me as like an eight-year-old kid blowing out my birthday candles and know that I already hated my body and, and already was, was, you know, focused on that. And, and I think that just, it was just a combination of like truly just being a naturally shy person and also just like really hating myself and not understanding that I could show myself to people and they might love me for that. Like I, I really was like show nothing, blend in as much as possible, try to disappear. And anytime I was, you know, pulled into the spotlight um, by someone showing me that they could see me, it was so devastating that I still feel it in my body when I think about it. I also developed at age 10, a hair pulling disorder, which is called trichotillomania, 
which is where you pull out your hair compulsively. And I did that like starting in fourth grade and until three years ago. And in those early years where I didn't know what trichotillomania was, no one, no one, like my parents didn't really notice or, or like they didn't, they, no one thought, oh, this is something that might be a disorder or anything. And so I remember in seventh grade or something, this very sweet girl came up to me and was like, you know, people are saying that you eat your hair. And like, and, and I, my whole, like my whole time every day at school, I'd be pulling out my hair, but I would tell myself no one could see me. And, and the only way that you can do something like that, I mean, it's a compulsive thing that you cannot control. And so her telling me that I was being seen was just, I mean, I like remember where I was standing when she told me that. I mean, it was just horrifying. And uh, that's like, there's a, there's a direction in my book that's do not be embarrassed, not even of that, not even of that. That's what I just shared before this. And that's the one I saw. I was like, I right away was like, this is so good. This is so good. Well, I, I mean, my myself back then, I was embarrassed of everything, of everything, like having my period at school and and navigating, you know, a bad haircut and just like I, I, I was walking humiliation. It was just every day was just like. I, I don't know how I, I mean, I managed to do fine in school and I, I, by the end of, of eighth grade, I had a handful of friends, but, um, yeah, a really, really painful part of my life that, uh, it feels good to talk about. Thank you for talking about it. Um, I'm going to probably end up circling back to something in there, but, um, let's go back to, so you transfer. Mm -hmm. to this college that was your dream college and you're there what and so at that point are you you give up film or not give up you're just like no I don't think this is for me yeah um so what did you just like go on like open or what did you think you would study then and that also like yeah that big change from starting somewhere like where you did you know anyone that was going there not a soul and did that feel like good and freeing in a way? Like I get to decide who I am and who these people get now, or was it scary or both? It, sure it was, was freeing. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, it was scary, but, but I, I knew that I needed that. And I, I remember the summer before I'd started to, I, I still did not think I was an artist, but I had started to break out of, of how how locked in I was I I started taking photographs I started wearing clothes that actually expressed myself instead of just being it's like so big a it's gray hood. like such a <laughs> yeah yeah I started to I started to dress like myself and I started to kind of come out of how much in my shell I was so I was still certainly you know kind of quiet when I arrived at Puget Sound, but I, I was starting to, to find myself more. And, um, I thought that I would major in 
I didn't know, but my first try was psychology. I was like, I love how people think. Uh, I need to figure out how people think. Like, I don't know. It was like, it was very much a, a stab in the dark. And I I quickly abandoned that once I learned I had to do any math. I was like, no. Um, so I wound up in creative writing. That was my my major. And that was something that you know, came really out of like, well, this is what I'm good at. And the creative part, um, it didn't quite click for me. Like I knew I wasn't in the right major, but there was no major at the school that was the right major. So I was in the closest thing I could have. And I was, you know, taking fiction and poetry classes and, and whatnot. And when you like said you started to like dress, like, you know, started to wear things that, yeah, like, more identified, I don't know, whatever, brought you joy, whatever it was, got out of the gray hoodie. Do you think that that was, you know, due to Alice starting to like that relationship of her, like actually seeing you or did you know, or just like, what, well, yeah, like what, like to even be like, Hey, I like this. I'm going to wear this. Uh, yeah. Alice is, Alice is, so she's, she's now a floral designer and she's someone who is so intentional and thoughtful about everything she wears and, and, and just style is something fun to be like relished and played with. And I'd always used it as something to hide behind. And so I think meeting her and, and also more of my friends were getting into like thrifting at that time. So I kind of discovered that for the first time. And that was so interesting. And, and, um, and yeah, it was, it was sort of Alice combined with like discovering thrift stores and realizing that I didn't just need to like shop at forever 21 or whatever, it, whatever it was at the time. Um, and, and yeah, realizing that I could, that I could use it as expression versus a brick wall. <laughs> yeah. I love that because, you know, it's something as small as like, yeah, how Alice dressed or how, you know, we can see somebody on the street and like that it can like bring us joy, inspire us to be like that, like, you know, to like, oh, that's kind of fun. But so often people stop themselves of like, like, oh, because the fear of being judged, what will people think? Oh, my body isn't supposed to wear this because I'm not a stick figure or whatever these things. But it's like when you see people just fully like owning some whatever their outfit is, it doesn't have to be like designer or this. But like, yeah, it feels good to see that and it can inspire people and like focusing on that for the people that are out there, like not doing the thing or wearing the bright color or whatever it is like do it not just for you. Like you might be inspiring other people to break out of their shells or just like giving them a smile. <laughs> a thousand percent. Absolutely. And and I think so much like so much of confidence can come from picking up on someone else's confidence and seeing like just Alice's, Alice's like perception of, to me, I was like, oh, this person finds herself beautiful and loves that and she she also passed that to me and and like was one of the first people who completely you know in a non-fake way would just be like you're hot what are you doing like just kind of that friend who who like wakes up that side of you that I think that especially teen girls are just I I don't know I think you can you can get really caught up in in how ashamed you are and and forget to celebrate your friends and 
and uh, I don't know, Alice was just who I needed at that time. I'm joining the Alice fan club, even though I've never met her. <laughs> so, um, exactly. so then what happens like when college, like you can, t- if anything comes more up in college that you want to share too, but like, yeah, when college is coming to an end and then like, yeah, the like, oh, okay, is real world starting and what happened after that? Or did you have any ideas for what you wanted to like? So uh, the seeds of, of me as an artist actually happened in college. So I was taking these writing classes and I was feeling very whatever about them. Like I would write a story or a poem or whatever. And I would literally look at it after working on it for hours and just be like, I don't know what this is. And I don't even know that I care. (laughs) Like I just felt, uh, I felt so uninspired by the format of these classes where everyone would write a story and then you'd sit around a table and just like pick them apart and I couldn't even feel good when they when my story was good because I was like, what is this for? What am I writing this for? I'm just writing it for the, my classmates who are also. I, it, it seemed so like pointless to me, <laughs> and uh, and I also remember just feeling it wasn't all about the class. It was also about my writing. I, I remember writing in my journal at that time and just being so frustrated. Why can't I write? Why can't I make anything that? makes sense to me why like what why I felt really stumped and I took a intro to art class like a art 101 to fulfill a requirement like I if it weren't for the requirement I would not have taken this class and in that class it was like I'd never taken an art class in high school never in in grade school it was my first ever art class and we excuse me used a dip pen like a nib dip pen that you dip in a well of ink and it's got that like metal point and in you know the class was like introducing us to these different tools and when I drew with that pen I truly had a a electrified thing of like this looks so good (laughs) like I just like that the pen makes you draw in a way that feels timeless and feels really like I don't know, like that's like Saul Steinberg, New Yorker drawings that are, you know, so different than drawing with a ballpoint pen or whatever I'd been using. It, it, it allowed me to have enough distance from my work that I didn't have that thing of like, this is any old drawing. I was like, Ooh, I'm great. This is awesome. Like I, I, I loved how it looked. And, um, I remember drawing something in that class and my teacher came up and was like oh that looks like it could be in the New Yorker and I was like wow like just like being being totally inspired by the tool which I still am to this day like using new tools is like a huge part of my practice but um that pen started me off on something that like I never have stopped from I I I started drawing. I realized that illustration was a thing. I started to make comics for the school paper. I, I like got a scanner. I started um, drawing flyers for the radio station, like anything anyone was doing around this time. Wow. So you were just like suddenly like this. I can do this. And it's not like, was it also seeing like illustration and not like I'm an artist? 
Like that felt like it was something very much grace. I was, I was focused. But I mean, like you just saying like to yourself, like, oh, illustrator, I'm an illustrator instead of like, I'm an artist. Was that easier to like then step into? Yeah. At the time I was, I was not, I, I, I think, I don't know if I used artist, but I definitely would say to my friends all the time, like, let's go do art. Like it was just like, let's go make art. We would go, we would like smoke weed in my room and I had like twinkle lights and we'd just all make art. Like I just made my life about that from that point forward. And it was like, I took the class. I lived in Berkeley with a friend for the summer. And over that summer, I truly just was like, I'm an artist now. I draw in my sketchbook all the time. I was hanging out with these girls who were like amazed by what I was making because they were all like Berkeley nerds who were really good at science and they were like, whoa. And um, I, I came back to Puget Sound for, for my final year and was just like completely like, this is who I am and started turning in drawings with my poetry assignments and um, I actually found, so one of the, the alumni from my school had started a blog called the Bygone Bureau, which had won some awards at South by Southwest. And I was looking for more things to draw for because I was doing stuff on campus, but as I, as I mentioned, like I, I felt best when I had a purpose that was more than just for my class or something. So I remembered that this blog existed and I looked it up and they had a, they had really great writing. I mean, award-winning writing and uh, no art whatsoever. So I actually emailed him and I was like, Hey, we met one time at campus. Like, I don't know if you remember me, but can I draw for your blog? And I like attached a drawing and he was like, sure. And I mean, they made the blog unpaid. I was unpaid. I had barely been drawing seriously for very long before I was getting published on this blog. And like at that time, I just, I loved that. And I loved having something to draw for that had nothing to do with my school. That was like my thing outside of school. And I learned how to illustrate because his name is Kevin, Kevin and, um, and the other people who worked on this blog gave me this way to learn where I didn't have to go to art school. I could learn by doing it already. And so by the time I graduated college, I'd illustrated them for illustrated for them for at least a year. They'd actually asked me to be the art director. So I started to commission for no money, but I started to commission illustrations from other beginning illustrators and, um, really saw myself as I'm going to go towards this. So when I was graduating, I did not know exactly what it would look like, but when people had asked me what I wanted to do, I was like something with art. And, and that was definitely like a little scary to, to admit. And I actually remember going into the office of a professor who I'd never taken a class from who taught a graphic novel class and uh, I was, I was close to graduating and maybe it was like the last semester or something. And I was like, can I get into your class? And she's like, no, it's closed. And I just like 
basically broke down crying and I was like I want to be a cartoonist but I don't know what to do and she'd like never met me before and I'm just sobbing in her in her classroom and um I don't remember what she said but she was just she was very nice but she's like I don't what can I tell you and I actually saw her years like a few years ago at a comics festival because she's in the cartooning world and I was like hey remember me sorry I cried in front of you one time (laughs) So, so I graduated with, you know, a portfolio. Uh, from a lo- doing the blog. From doing well, the blog. And the school newspaper. And for the blog, was that like, you know, they would send you like a draft of a blog that was going to go up and then you would illustrate a picture to go with yeah. it? Yeah. So, so they wrote, I mean, they, they, the writing was amazing. They wrote, um, you know, humor, everything from like humor pieces to you know, interviews to like cultural criticism and um, autobiographical stuff. Like they, they were, the writing was amazing. And I, I got the chance to make a lot of work that like wasn't great, but it was good enough. And they, and they, you know, they, they let me learn in that way. And I, I always felt like so grateful. And so uh, a lot of my advice to people, people who are just starting out, I'm like, yeah, do work for free. Like I was not qualified to be paid for that. I, I was learning. And obviously in my situation, it felt very safe because everyone was working for free on that blog. So it wasn't like I was being the one person who was unpaid, but, um, I just, that I, it's like, I learned what I needed to learn and, um, yeah, forever feel grateful for that experience. I feel the same way. I mean, in Pretty much, yeah, I wanted to be a live sound engineer. I did go to Columbia for live sound, but also how I really got my break was I got a job in the retail store of the House of Blues in Chicago because they had concerts. I got to know the production people and said, I want to do that. They said, come hang out. And then I just started showing up like all the time and I didn't leave. And I was there for like three months. And then they finally started paying me to be a stagehand. And then eventually I became a sound engineer. And then a big touring sound company came through and said, we want you like everything in my life happened from me saying I want to do that and hanging out and honestly being an idiot because I didn't know anything (laughs) but still showing up every single day (laughs) because I wanted to do it I I really think like enthusiasm goes a long way like I I feel like I I still have a lot of enthusiasm and especially at the start I was just like I I had only realized like when I was like, you know, at this point, 19 or something, I was like, what illustrations, a job like, and then I was like on the internet all the time, like absorbing everything of like uh, discovering illustrators online and realizing that this was, you know, this was like pre Instagram, but it was like realizing that this community was out there. And it's so crazy to think that so many of those people who I was like obsessed with that are people that I've now met and like, I mean, the cartooning world is very small, but like, yeah, I I think that enthusiasm and like wanting to do it so badly that you'll show up and do it without any, you know, encouragement from anyone else like is, is really important. And uh, I, I feel really grateful. I say this a lot, but I feel really grateful that I didn't go to art school because I like once I discovered this, I did look into transferring to an art school and I was like, ah, it's just too late. I, I just I, I'm about to, I have one more one more year left. It's just too late. 
But, you know, in retrospect, I think I would have been crushed by art school. I I didn't like the criticism of even my writing classes. And I think um, the motivation of writing and writing and drawing for publication instead of for a grade or for a classroom setting is like really what was most validating to me. And I think if I was in class, I just, I just think I would have been chewed up by it. I don't know. I, I don't think I would have done very well in a, in a art, art school. I got pretty mediocre grades in all my art classes in college. So Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption, telling you or reminding you about some ways I am here to support you. We're starting with $3.99, one-time purchase of my daily inspiration app. It's called Own Your Awesome. You can get it in, in the app store. Hundreds of powerful thoughts to support you and empower you. I just opened up right now and I got I choose to make the best of what is. Hit the card again, and I got what is motivating your choices. Is it internal or external? Comparing yourself to others? Concerns of being judged? Expectations of others? The shoulds of others or that you created for yourself? Or what genuinely feels best for you? Oh, I just got another card. Quit being an asshole to yourself. You don't deserve that, and you know it. So lots of different things in there. I have products in my shop, including the favorite daily connection journal. It has easy daily prompts to connect to yourself, what you want, how you want to feel. And my one-on-one coaching is available again for the first time in a while. I love working with people one-on-one. With me, you get a real, real accountability which means whether you're making changes in your mind, in your life, you have a vision that you want to come to life, we will make that dream that become your reality. Or it could be like, you don't even know what you want. You're lost, you're unsatisfied, and you don't know why. Work with me and I am with you every step of the way. Seriously, we have hourly calls, but we're also in touch daily via text, voice memos, you name it, so that we can really make shifts in your daily life by seeing what's coming up for you. You can't escape me. I'm going to be with you, checking in, keeping you accountable to what it is that you want. Whether that's, like I said, making your dream product come true, like I have done, or you just getting clear on what is making me unhappy? What do I want? I gotcha. So hit me up. You can send me a DM. Go to yourjoyologist.com and hit the work with me button. All right, let's get back to the episode. So what, um, so when graduation was coming up, did you already know, like, did you have something happening next or what was your next? Like, okay, what do I do now? I certainly did not, but um, I... I moved from Tacoma to the Bay Area. I moved to Oakland. I trying to think, I guess Alice was was gonna be living there and it felt like the next step. So I, I grew up in Northern California. So I think I I moved home and then I got a job at a cafe in San Francisco on the Embarcadero, like on the water. Um so I, that was my, my little baby first job. And I, I was very much like, 
I'm an illustrator, but I work at this cafe and uh, I just did, I still worked for the Bygone Bureau. I was doing that on the side and I would go to work and I would try to like be an artist at work. I'd like draw on the menu and design little signs and the manager would just come like wipe it, like clean it off like right away. And they'd be like, like they, they were kind of like bougie. Like they didn't want a quirky little vibe going on. And I, I was just like, I I was not a great employee. I had a really hard time shutting down. Like I wanted to be appreciated for, for that. And they wanted me to like make coffee and like look cute. And so I, I worked there. I was still working for the bygone bureau and I was very much like, like I said, and my identity was like, I was, I did not hesitate to be like, I'm an illustrator. I, I, I do this. Like I, I, I really owned that, that I was mainly an artist. And then um, I actually tried to get a job as a store artist at Whole Foods. Cause I thought there's a job where artist is in the title. <laughs> what does that, that mean as a store? That means they draw a picture of the asparagus that's like over the asparagus in the door like well, I don't know if they still have yeah, that you moment, are still an artist working I, I I tried very hard to get that job and they really did not it's another setting where they're like we don't want you to actually be an artist we just want you to be able to draw this technically and so um so that was a failure but I um I actually was contacted by a writer who had worked, who had written for the Bygone Bureau. So he was, he was one of the, one of the contributing writers to this unpaid blog, but you know, a lot of the writers that we worked with are writers that are now in the New Yorker and then people that are, that are really, you know, amazing writers who just happen to also need a venue at that time. So um, he contacted me and said, Hey, I just got hired as the managing editor of this tech blog do you want to do some illustrations for us? So they hired me and this was really like maybe one of my first actual paid gigs. But of course I was like, yes, of course I will take you on as one of my clients. But I was like faking (laughs) it. I think I have space in my calendar to take you on. Yeah. And just to, just to give you a sense of like, I was maybe 22 and I had like I said never gone to art school very few very unschooled artists I had still not developed the practice of even sketching for my drawings I would go straight to ink every time I would like I I I still kind of thought that you know art was always an accident and (laughs) you you just you just see how it goes and and you don't plan and you kind of like see what comes out. And so my, my illustrations, like the first ones that I did for this tech blog were, I mean, I shudder to look at them, but um, they loved it. That's all that matters. (laughs) Yeah. They loved it. And, and I was, I was still working at that cafe and, and after I did a couple of illustrations for them, he was like, the boss wants to talk to you about coming on and being a full-time illustrator. And I was like, I'm also an art director. So I'll be the art director too. Like I, I really like plugged myself. I, I, I like t- had a, some phone call with her or something. And, and I was just like, yep, I'm a, I'm an experienced illustrator. I'm, I, I'm also have experience as an art director. And I really like kind of like, 
you know, pitched myself as a hybrid of those things. And, and they, they hired me. And I, I still remember at the cafe, like getting the the call or whatever, and being on my break and, and like calling my loved ones and just being like, I got a job. And it was like my first real job. And I was going to be drawing for a living. And I, I mean, it was, it was wild to be at the, that last day at the cafe and just be like, I'm fucking out of here. I'm going to go. Yeah. I was just saying, did you say like, okay. And today is my last day. Bye. I don't exactly remember how I, how I pulled it off, but I was just like, I was so excited and it just, I, I mean, I just feel so, so lucky because at that time, so the I was trying to figure out once I graduated, like how to see myself fitting professionally into this, world and art director seemed like a a way that you could make money at being an artist. So I kind of pinned, I'd like, I'd been like, okay, well, you know, I love writing. I love working with these journalists and maybe someday I'll be an art director at like the New York times or like, I kind of like, like thought that (laughs) I kind of thought that that could be my, you know, by the time I'm 30 or something. So then at age 23, I got hired as an art director and illustrator. And it was like, you know, the blessing of a dream coming true soon enough for you to realize that that's not your dream. (laughs) So, so for two years, I, as this little baby illustrator, still learning for two years, I was illustrating for this tech blog. It was called Panda Daily. It was about the tech, I mean, it was very like industry stuff. Um, this new company got investment and then I draw some little thing. And I, I mean, it was, it was amazing learning experience. It was ultimately like, I don't really care about tech. So once I had learned after two years, I had learned so much in the process that I, I was kind of burnt out. I also had no bound, no like work-life balance. I was, I was so, you know, grateful for the job in the way of, uh, that a young person can be where I, I was just like, I can't believe they hired me. I have to give them everything. I truly like pulled all nighters nonstop. Like, like just there, you know, being the one illustrator for a publication means you could have endless work. And, um, so by the end of two years, I had moved to New York and I was going to keep my job. I, like I talked to them and they were like, yeah, that's fine. You can move to New York. You'll work remotely. I had, I had always worked remotely. Um, and then I got to New York and everyone there was like, knew my work from Pando. Like some of the people knew my work from um, Bygone Bureau, actually, from the, the unpaid blog. And about Pando, people were kind of like, why do you work there? <laughs> like, <laughs> why do you work for a tech? Like, yeah. And, um, I, I really, you're like, because they hired me. (laughs) me. I mean, it was incredible to, to have that, that experience. And at the same time, I was meeting so many freelance writers. The one person I knew moving to New York was Kevin, who'd founded the Bygone Bureau. And what made you move to New York? Just, I've always wanted to live in New York or I, my Uh, dream has to do with New York. York. I had never wanted to live in New York. Um, I said, I said that I would never live there, <laughs> but, um, actually I, so age 23 working for Pando daily, 
I get approached, I was doing still Bygone Bureau and I was doing some other comics on the side. Like that part of me was still growing and changing. And I had been approached by a book agent to make a book. And that was something that I was just like, oh my God. Like I was like, it was so exciting. And I was also, I didn't know it at the time, but I was not ready. Like I I was, I had a full-time job, a more than full-time job. And and yet I was like, I'm also going to make a book. And then um, I, I was, I was totally creatively blocked, but I had like told everyone that I was working on this book. And I was like, I'm going to move home with my parents until I write this book. I must like retreat to the mountain and like live like a monk until I, until I produce this like opus. And, and when I was the also agent approached you, it was based on seeing your illustrations. So like, what was their idea? Just like make a book of illustrations. They said, do you have any book ideas? And I said, yeah. And I, I just told them like what, what was on the top of my mind, which is so it's kind of similar. The idea is like a grain of the idea that's behind what to do when I'm gone. Basic instructions on, my idea was instructions on, on how to live that are really boiled down and basic and also kind of similar to directions. But so I, I pitched them the first idea that was kind of on top of my head and then and then was also just like had no concept of how to make a book and the agent was his style was to just tell me that I was a genius and that I would figure it out and I was like I still at that time didn't really have artist friends I in the bay area no one there's not a really huge art community there it, it was pretty I had a, a couple people that I drew with but for the most part I was still the only artist I knew and so I felt excited by the idea but completely confused at how to make it happen and so I pretty much like moved home with my parents like running away in shame that I that I wasn't writing this book and I I lived there for eight months on this mountain still still drawing for the tech blog but didn't work on the book at all and the agent would call me to check in and I would be like well um, I'm working on it. I'm working on it, but I don't really know. And he'd be like, oh, you're, you're going to do amazing. You're amazing. And that kind of made it worse. Like his, his praise, like made it worse. I was like, oh my God, he doesn't see that. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And, um, actually what happened was I like lived, I lived home for like six months or something. And then, uh, got some email from the agency that was like, your agent no longer works here. So your contract is terminated. And I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And my dad was like, what? Why are you happy? And Why are you celebrating? I was like, I'm free. I'm free. Like I had been, that's still to this day, the biggest creative block I've ever had. Like I just did not know how to do any of it. So I like, once I was free, I was like, I can fucking move away from my parents' house now. Like I can move on with my life. And I planned to move back to the Bay Area, but I had met someone. I was like bouncing around the Bay Area looking for apartments. Nothing was coming up. And I met someone who who was from New York and he was like, yeah, we have an apart. We have a room available in our apartment if you want to live in like a rat infested apartment in Brooklyn. And I was like, ha ha. And then I was like, I'll never live in New York. And then it was like cut to like midnight a couple days later. I, it was like a, 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 I like 
sat bolt upright in bed and was like, oh, I'm moving to New York. And I just was like, oh, that's my room. I need to move to New York. Like I, I, in Bay Area, I was like, I was like living within an old version of myself. And I knew that it somehow felt easier to move to New York than, than to stay where I was. And so I moved two weeks later. It was immediate. It was like, I, I brought my cat with me. I, I, I moved there. My boss said it was fine. Um, so I moved to New York because this incredibly fortuitous room was available to me. And I was scared of it, which I thought was a really good reason to go. I would have done the same thing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay, I can't find a place to live here. Yeah, why am I not moving to New York? Why not? Yeah. Try it? So when yeah. did so where did um you move to New York? But like, so how did the first book then end up coming about? So moved to New York, quit my job. You um, did quit the job with the tech blog. Quit the job with the tech blog after maybe a month or two, and was in the meantime was just meeting so many incredible people, writers, cartoonists, people that I'd followed on Instagram for a long time. I met, who is now my husband. I met Jack. We were friends for a couple of years before we ever dated, but like he was someone that I met who was a cartoonist. Like um, I met an artist. another cartoonist? I love mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's the best. Um, so, so I was just in this like, you know, in this new world where I suddenly had a community and, and it was so different than the Bay area in that it was just so much like more creative and everyone was so supportive and encouraging. And it was, it was really, uh, a, an awakening for me. And it was like, I'd been so blocked up when I lived with my parents, I moved to New York and I was just like the biggest burst of inspiration of that. I, I was just like the most productive and creative that I've been. It was just um, so stimulating, so exciting. Um, I met an artist named Adam JK, who's who's now a friend of mine. And um, the first book came about because Adam Adam had made a book that was like a, a creative journal. And I guess MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, had asked him if they would make one for them. And he was busy doing his own amazing stuff. And he was like, well, I, I can't do this, but you should talk to Hallie. So I ended up meeting them and they basically were like, can you make a sample of what your book would be for us? And so I made um, like a 30 page sample of my, my version of a creative journal. They, they, they wanted something that would encourage people to be less scared of making art, which is kind of my whole jam anyway. Yeah, so, perfect. um, so I had a lot of fun with that and, and they ended up going with it and that was my first book. And it was very like, it was a museum publisher. So they did not like, they didn't even tell me when it was out. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so yeah, does that no. mean like it's basically published because they want to sell it like in in their stores, in store, but and it in, doesn't necessarily like go like oh it's in Barnes and Noble and it's yeah it's, not it's only in it's in other museum bookstores, Got but it. it's purely for the museum. So Which it was just kind of funny cool thing. and unique, but yes, much very different cool. than 
Yeah, very cool. And it was it was so great to have that be my first book, honestly. And I I'm I'm so grateful to Adam for for thinking of me for that and for for connecting that because I like I said, I making a book was something I wanted. I'd actually gotten an agent in the in the between time. Um and I really needed that thing that MoMA said, here's our idea for a book. Can you execute it? And to me, that was a perfect first book because I learned so much. And the main thing I learned was that making a book is organization. It is timing things out. It is so much admin work. And and I, (laughs) I, at that time I'd free. So when I quit my, my job at Pando, I went freelance and I had no skills in that, in that area. And I, I very much bounced, like I drained all my savings. I would get a coffee job. I would be freelancing, but making very little money and, and really living in this kind of, you know, delusional privileged state of mind where I was like, I'll figure it out. Like, and and sort of you know would would be really not taking my art seriously as a business i was take i was still in this delusional state where i was like i'm an artist so i don't have to worry about you know the the long term or things like that and my brother ben who's who's a little older than me and is an incredible business person sat me down and was like you've got to take this seriously. He's like, do you really want to live in this? Like, like I'd, I'd had to borrow money from my parents a couple times for rent. And he was like, do you really want to be like a subsidized business where you never know if it's going to run on its own and that you're just kind of floating around? Like he, in a, in a very kind, firm way, told me to get my shit together and helped me do it. He made spreadsheets for me. He, he told me, because I was pulling all nighters, I was exhausted. I wasn't good at tracking my projects, and he helped me get all those business skills that, I mean, I didn't naturally have. And I was averse to the idea of a calendar. I, my inbox was a mess. He helped me figure that stuff out in a way that has forever changed my life. And so, at the same time as Ben was coaching me through how to be a real business, I got my first book and saw that all the skills he was teaching me were what were needed to make a book. It's all, how many pages are the book? How many pages do you need to write or draw in order for it to be done by on time? Can you plan that out? Can you do, can you deliver what you're promising you can? And, um, and that was just, I mean, the biggest light bulb was like, you think I thought as an artist that, uh, I, I don't need to plan everything. Like I said, going straight to ink. There's a, there's a thing that you're telling yourself that I have no control over this. Any, any drawing that I make is a fluke. I, I only go straight to ink because planning won't help. And in fact, I learned that I, I'm an artist and it's not a fluke and it's not something that I, I should be scared to, to try at. It was almost like, I, I was telling myself that it was all an accident and I couldn't look too closely at it or it would disappear and it was all magic and and I can't bottle magic and and I really had to learn with Ben's help that it's work, it's a job, it's labor, it's 
in fact, something that maybe should be separate from your personal life, which I did not have that belief at that time. And, and so I started to realize, oh, if I want to do this for the rest of my life, which I do, I need to take this seriously as a job and not as a passion. Because if something is just your passion, you're going to burn out. And I was just constantly burning out. And um, so that's the, <laughs> that's, the, that's the long version of sort of what happened um, in New York and with my first book was that it was really amidst getting my shit together. No, those are all such valuable lessons. And I agree with you about like the first book of them giving your idea. Like I for like 10 years was like, I'm a writer. I'm writing a book. I'm going away. Like I resonated with like, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to, I have an opportunity to go to Italy and live for free. I'm going to go and I'm going to go there and I'm gonna write my book. Oh, okay. I got this. I'm going to write a book. Like constantly saying I was writing my book and like not writing, but like, <laughs> right, <laughs> but because right. I was like, I don't know what to write about. I have so many things to share, but like, what will this book be about? I finally yeah. sold my first book last year and it made me like, Amazing. I have to sit the F down and figure out what is this book <laughs> about? And like the actual, like, yeah, like that. And then, oh, mine is not illustrated, but like, the chapter, oh, what's in every chapter? Mm-hmm. Like preparing the book proposal. It's like, yeah, like I've loved the process, but it is, it was such a different, like I was just waiting for the like, just hand me this or when is somebody going yeah. to? Yeah, and I think that, the 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 myth that is so makes it so impossible to to kind of start seriously is that you think that someone just sits down and then they come up with this on the first try which which is and I'm holding up a copy of my book um that it it it's so much more gradual than that and I really I really did not understand that until my first book and so where what is the the second book, the one that you did with your mom, mm-hmm. is that, yeah. What to do when I'm gone. I love that idea. And that, yeah, like, how did you get, was that an idea that was 100% from you? Yeah. Yeah. So once I had been working on my book for MoMA, which is called Brave New Work, that was my first book, um, I, I was, I had been talking to my mom for years at that point about what to do when I'm gone. So it was something that came up years earlier in my early twenties when I was, I think it was in the period when I was living at home, I had really had this deep realization that I would have to continue living after my mom's death. And I'm very close with my mom and, and basically just one night in the midst of that anxiety that a lot of us experience when you're trying to fall asleep and you're just like thinking about the deaths of the people you love. Like it was one of those nights that I, I really was like, wow, I will have to wake up one morning after that. It won't just be your mom's dead and then you're dead. (laughs) Like hopefully (laughs) Um, that, that I, I, it kind of hit me that, that I would have to, to keep living. And so the next morning I told my mom about that. And I was like, I have this idea. I need you to write me a book that, that begins the moment you die and goes on for the rest of my life so that I don't have to live without your guidance. And my mom is like, she's very funny and very real. And she was just like, great, love it. I'll do it. Like, got it. She just like, she like, didn't need any more information. She was like, got it. 
And she was publishing a magazine at the time and she was very busy. And so I would bother her every few like months or, or year. Like I would just be like, mom, why aren't you writing this book? You're going to get hit by a bus and I'm going to be left without the book. Like, can you please do this? And she'd be like, I've got it. It's all up here. Just leave me alone. And finally, in, she visited me in New York and I, we, we got a cabin. We were going to drive up to Maine and she got there and I like brought my laptop and I was like, guess what? We're going to work on the book. Like, we're going to do this. Like I knew that she wasn't going to, I, I, I realized that she wasn't going to sit down and do it on her own. It was going to be something that both of us would do. So in Maine, we, we like sat out on this like screen porch and I, I sat with a laptop and I would ask her questions. All right, mom, you just died. What do I do? And then I, I would type what she would say. And, and at this point, I was not thinking of this as a book that we would publish for the wider world. I wanted this for myself, truly, truly wanted this for myself. And during that trip, we, we both loved the process. It was really interesting. And we started to realize, oh, this could be a book for the world. Like, let's, let's set some intentions about this. And we realized that it was us talking about death really openly before it was an imminent issue and that the book could potentially encourage others to do the same with their loved ones. So we kind of set that intention and took it on as a project and we ended up writing it together over a series of little like retreats where I would meet my mom in Portland and we would work for work for a week and then I would fly back to New York or whatever. Um, we ended up writing the entire thing before we pitched it. So we pitched like a full manuscript and um, everyone, like so many publishers didn't want it and, and said no one, like it's the death thing. People are freaked out about death. And um, Bloomsbury, who is a, a wonderful publisher who, published Roz Chast's book called Let's Talk About Something More Pleasant, which is her book about her parents aging and, and the, the, the real truth of what that looks like. And um, Bloomsbury, those editors like wanted our book and they were like, yeah, this is great. Let's do it. Um, we ended up um, working with them and um yeah, I illustrated it over the course of about a year. By that time, I had moved to Los Angeles, um, partially to live with Alice and to be with Jack. So it was a win-win. Um, so yeah, I, I left New York after two years and was working on what to do when I'm gone and like illustrating another book. And that was really the point where I stopped working in coffee <laughs> part-time and I like moving to Los Angeles, I had a couple books that I was working on and I, I was, and then I got a, like a, a freelance gig that, that has been ongoing. And I, that was when I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not in the service industry anymore. Um, so that was also a big deal. Yes. Awesome. And that hopefully were you starting to not burn out and to like approach. Oh yeah. I mean, as this is okay. Like I'm clocking in. And I'm looking. So, so Ben, Ben, my brother who helped me get my life together, he, he was a huge influence on 
my seeing my work as work and not seeing it as an infinite, you know, passion that I had to pour everything into. I had a project that I I signed up to do that I ended up pulling like an ongoing like four or five night all-nighter, meaning I just like worked for five days nonstop and slept in tiny spells. And that was like the last straw. Like I I did it's like I did so bad. <laughs> I I I I burned out so hard that I said never again. And when I moved to Los Angeles, I was really in the midst of an eating disorder that was also, you know, a a, a problem for for my self-care. So moving to Los Angeles was like really good for me. Um I wound up slowly yeah, setting setting boundaries and figuring out how to not hurt myself <laughs> um, in in all these ways, and um, slowly discovered like body positivity and um, figured out how to heal. We got in therapy and and um, had a, a studio space outside of my bedroom, which was really good for my work, and so. Yeah, I think all of these things were going on at once and um, ultimately influenced me to have better, better work-life boundaries. And so where did the idea for directions, really good advice for getting from here to there, come from? Directions was not an idea at, at all at the beginning. I mean, it was something that popped up when I had finished or maybe was in the midst of finishing what to do and I'm gone. I I was sitting, my brother was in town and we were sitting at the kitchen table and we were just making art for fun. Um, we had torn up a bunch of construction paper and gotten out our like ink and art supplies. And, and the plan was we were just going to hang out and like draw until there was no paper left and, um, and just like have a like crafty afternoon. <laughs> and that day I wrote a couple directions and I think, it, I think it's clear to me that I was, I was kind of coming out of my, my eating disorder because the directions are a first glimpse at my new attitude toward food. Like I had written, um, I had written one that was like, go left, go right, eat the whole pan of brownies or something. Um, that was one of the first ones I wrote. And I mean, that's just like the opposite of how I, I, I was really, I was, I was expressing my new, my new attitudes toward food and, and kind of coming out of that. And, and a lot of the directions were like that. They were, they were about acceptance and the the do not be embarrassed one I also wrote that day so those those came out just during the course of the afternoon and I at the end of the the day was like should I throw these in the trash <laughs> I was like I guess I'll save them like I put them in a envelope and really didn't know what to do with them um I wound up discovering them a year later when I was moving into a new apartment and looking through my files and came across them and was like, Oh, these are funny. Like I'll post them and see, um, you know, whatever. And then there was a really big response to them. And I had, I mean, I don't know how many I had written or that I had posted. It was like 
maybe 10 or 15 or something. And I was so intrigued by how popular they were and how like people really like them. And so I, what was like your usual posting in comparison to like when you posted these um, that you were able to see like, Oh, so we see like, this is different and it's getting a lot of attention and feedback. I mean, I don't know about like the numbers, but I know that like my followers like doubled, like I, I somehow like, it was like over the course of posting them, like I, my audience grew a lot. And but I mean, I, like content wise, like oh, what content have you been wise. posting so that you gotcha. were able to see like, whoa, I posted these yeah, yeah, yeah. and all of a sudden it's like, yeah. Um, I posted, I mean, I posted, I, I, all I could say is like my work, like comics, a lot of autobiographical stuff, funny, observational, silly stuff, but um, more in line of like comics and less like the, the difference with directions is that it's just the words and it's on a colorful background and that's it. And it's very simple. And there's no, like my drawings would usually be like a drawing with like a caption and directions was words in the post and then no caption. And, um, and yeah, I, I decided to write more because they, they had gone over well. So I, I repeated the same process that I had done that day. I I cut up a bunch of paper. I this time I like got out my ink stone and got out my supplies and I I would kind of do this ritual where I would smoke weed and I would I would put on music and like set the the mood for myself and kind of like close my door and would would just try to let whatever wanted to come out come out and um in a very very different creative experience than I've had with anything else where you're instead of setting down with the intention of like, I'm going to write this book about losing my mom or like whatever, you know, the, the idea comes before you sit down. This was all about sitting down. And, and I mean, I have this, this poster on my wall that says work relaxation. Don't think, which is the entirety of what I had to do when I wrote these, these directions um, that was just clearing, clearing the way to almost channel something, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love, I'm just like, I just was like paged through or just would open while you're just reading right now. And like, yeah, like to share some of like, I turned to this one that I really love, let other people be other people. So freaking simple. But like, we can get caught up. <laughs> Like, and then uh, another one I turned to is remember that your partner should get you through the hard times. Your heart partner shouldn't be the hard times. Like, I just love these. And I mean, there's some are, like so s- different, but yet similar to like things I've always like I share. Like I started on Twitter and then, yeah, now Instagram. But I don't do a hand. It's just typed in a very simple font. But like sharing my thoughts that are to help me or things that I'm witnessing and then like putting them out in the world. And I just love this idea of this book. And it's honestly like inspiring to me of like, oh, yeah, one day I don't have to write 130,000 words in a book, which I just did. I could put a a thought on a page and just how fun it is to just open and see radio off, window open. Like it just it really can instantly shift your attitude and your perspective. I love it. I'm so glad that you did this. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something that you know, in a way that you don't always think that, like, you think that an opus, like a a 130,000 words could 
should be like more should be more right but I, I feel like this this process of writing this and, and and even reading these directions for myself is like being able to absorb something profound in just a few words is just a goddamn relief like it's just so nice to not have to read a 10,000 word New Yorker article to to get that you know any simple any simple idea everyone on tv is terrible at relationships do not learn from them like that's like it's I, I I find that the the brevity of something and and we find there's just so much to hold in our in our minds and I I see these as little notes to myself little like bookmarks of ways to to think about something or, or summarize, like some of them summarize a whole part of my life that could be 130,000 words, but I can fit it in a direction. Yeah. I love it. And it's also like, when you're like, there are quotes, you know, that I've, that have defined my life and like changed my life by just reading like a quote. And I actually just shared about this because my brand name has always been your joyologist. And so that was my name on social media. And I just like last week, changed my name to my name, Trisha Huffman. Wow. And I realized I'd recorded a solo podcast up and, I, and I, there was many reasons I did that. But also from the first time I started sharing my words, I would just put like yourdrialgist.com or my logo on it. I never put Trisha Huffman on my name on anything. Like even when I learned, okay, tag your words. Yeah. And I realized for me, it was actually like a self-worth struggle where it was like what I'm quoting myself because I realized how much value I had had for like other people's quotes that had changed my life. And so it was this struggle of even though I very much believed in what I was saying, because I was putting it out there, like here, respond to that. Yeah. But I had a, a problem like owning my own work. Totally. Yeah, I, I get that. And I think that's a whole that's a that's a complicated thing. I've I've dealt with a lot of people, you know, ripping off or using my work without permission. And I it's like I could avoid it by stamping my handle on everything. And I, I still don't want to do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. I didn't even I haven't noticed on your social media that you did that. I mean, yeah, there's so many layers of that stuff. I think it is a value. I think, yeah, do you do what you feel com comfortable yeah. doing when you feel it? And like, yeah, I now feel great about putting my name on stuff. And it took me a while to get there and working through it. But I think mm -hmm. also it is valuable. Like, yeah, things get shared so quickly and people can still crop it off. But your work and your words are very important and very touching. And also, like, don't you want people to be able to find you? If somebody reads your word and it gets shared by, you know, 10 people share it and it's cut off. And so they don't know where it's traceable to. They tag the last person right. and it's not you. If they were moved by that word, like, let other people be other people. That's so special. I want to find that person that wrote that. Like, give yeah. other people the opportunity to find. Sorry, I'm like shouting. <laughs> I'm giving you a yeah. I'm giving you a <laughs> You know what you but like no, you know, like it's like no, it like yeah like but I know you both maybe yeah. as an artist like oh I don't want to like maybe ruin the art by putting my name on there or something but honestly I think it's a aesthetic decision yeah. and I'm I'm to terms with it you know yeah I'm like it's it's part of the the choice and I'm definitely like making that decision and that's yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's good for you. But yeah, I but yeah. I'm also someone that does like when I see something, if I see somebody like sharing your work, then I would definitely be like, by the way, this is so and so make sure to tag them. Like I love for people to like get the credit. But again, it is for me because I have been so moved by people's words. And I want to know oh, who wrote this. I yeah. want to know more about them. But yet I wasn't really giving myself I mean, I put a tag on it. It just wasn't my name. <laughs> but I wasn't. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
I also, I, I mean, there's something, not that this is like, was intentional from the beginning, but with, with directions, there's, there's a way in which I, I don't know. I don't really feel like a lot of these are quotes from me. Like if it ever occurs to you to buy flowers, buy them. It's never a bad idea. That's from my friend, Alice. That's the, I mean, that's so many of these are, are things that I'm the one writing it down, but I'm, I, I don't think of myself as like the philosopher behind that idea. I'm, I'm taking notes. I, I really think of this book as like, I'm a real note taker and this is my notebook and I've, I've absorbed this and I've, I've observed these things and, and I like, absolutely. So many of them are, are written by me and I'm not trying to, to discount that, but I think there's a way in which I, I like feel um, not so much like I, I, I want to give, I want to give the people in my life who who are the originators of some of these ideas uh like i i want to like you know don't want to blot out their involvement by by pasting my name all over it but you know my name's on the book and everything so no i get that yeah, yeah. i was yeah. just meaning for social media when you're sharing but yeah totally and that is like yeah a lot of it input coming out there Anyway, um, yeah. And so then, yeah, once that was sort of like happening where you you just, okay, these are really resonating. Was that your idea to make it into a book or did an agent say, hey, these posts are doing really well. Let's make it into a book. Um, it started with people on Instagram suggesting it. Like it happened enough times that I I kind of started to agree. Um, I wrote a direction that says, when people say this could be a book, listen to them, make it into a book. Um, I, I, I mean, what's been so cool about this whole process too, is having something come to be without your being the originator of the idea. I mean, just as I said, Alice is the one who, who, whose idea it is the flower by flowers. It's never a bad idea. It wasn't my idea to make this book, but people were right. And I, I'm usually so stubborn and so kind of like, I want it to be my idea. And that was actually a tough thing to move through. I wrote another direction about that. I wrote, do not let their wanting, uh, don't let their wanting it stop you from giving it to them because the direction started to become really popular and I started to shrink away. I started to feel like they didn't belong to me. Like it wasn't, I wasn't doing it because I wanted to, I was doing it because they wanted it. And I thought I gotta, that's my problem. I've got to move through that. I think that there's a humility and kind of an enjoyable thing of saying you wanted it and I gave it to you. Like, and, and that's another way where this book is just a, a, a real mystery to me as well. Almost where I'm like, okay you want it to be a book? Okay. I'll, I'll make a book. I, I don't exactly know what it is. And like, and all along the way, I mean, I, I think when I, when I signed with Workman, who, who's the publisher, I think they had a better idea of what the book was going to be than I did. I think like this whole time I've been, it's my job to, to like channel the mystery of this, but there's certainly other people who seem to understand it more than I did. And, and that's okay. <laughs> which is, which is kind of a, a, an interesting, uh, 
approach, I guess. I mean, I've always, I've always had so much more agency in the projects that I choose where you're like, I'm going to push so hard. Like I pitched, I pitched books where I'm pushing so hard for this thing to happen and, and the book gets rejected or no one wants it or whatever. And it's, it's been really cool to realize like, you don't always know what your best idea is going to be, or you don't always like get it. Sometimes other people understand it better than you do or before you do. And it's okay to like follow their lead. Like I'm not the master of my own creative universe. I'm in it sometimes too deep to see it. Yeah. I'm going to get to the questions I ask every wrap up, but also like with that too, it's like, you also don't ever know where it's like this happening now. And it was sort of like surrendering to like, okay, yeah. Like you never know. It might then make space for like those other ideas that you were so like, no, I want this to happen to then happen. Like it just wasn't the timing. Like you just also never know about that stuff. (laughs) Well, a thousand percent. And this you use the word surrender. This entire project, the lesson that Directions has taught me is all about surrender. Surrender your fear, your doubt. When you're sitting down to write and you, you, all those fears bubble up. I, this would happen every time I wrote Directions. Fears would bubble up. You're, this is bad. This sucks. Stop writing. Stop, stop, stop. I, I had to surrender. I had to move past that. I had to surrender those doubts. And then I had to also surrender my ego, which said, don't do this project. Do the project you want to do. Don't do it just because they want it. I had to surrender that. I had to surrender my confusion at why people liked it. Like this whole, this whole project has just been about letting go. Well, that's a, possibly a good tie into what I'm going to show. So I pu- I'm pulling up an image. These are phrases that go on keychains in my product line. <laughs> Uh, awesome. <laughs> and I ask everybody to pick not necessarily which phrase they like the most, but which one they feel they want as a reminder every day. Because mm. I will send you the keychain if you want it. Oh, um, my God. But so like, what is something that you feel you want to see daily to be like, oh, right. Right. OK, I trust the timing of my life. Oh, that one is like could not be more resonant. I feel like the the timing of things is always like, I, I, I'm not a religious person. I'm kind of like, I'm kind of interested in the mystery uh, of it all, but I, I definitely feel like that phrase really connects to how I see things where it's like, Oh, you, you're devastated because you didn't get this book deal that you really, really wanted. Well, in two years, you're going to get a book deal that you didn't know that you wanted. And, and if you had been working on the previous book, this never would have happened. And like, I, I, I just feel like the, that whole timing thing is like a lot of how I soothe anxiety when you tell yourself things aren't going how I, like you're feeling so, so clenched and so determined to have control over things and they're not going how you want. And I think it's so Soothing to be, hey, now's not the time. Like when I was struggling to make that book when I was 22, I wasn't ready. Trust the timing of your life. Trust that, that yeah, you're not ready. You'll be ready in like four years. Like that's, I, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, yeah. I, but I trust the timing and it did back yeah. then. Um, yeah. Okay. What is a go to to raise your joy levels when you're maybe feeling off or funky and you're like, what can I do right now to boost my mood? Ooh. Um, a going for a walk 
has been huge. Um, and calling my mom, <laughs> I call it. my mom all the time. Um, and it's, it's nice to have someone who can like kind of snap you out of, out of a, a bad vibe. So yeah, those are multiple answers. Looking into my dog's eyes. You're allowed to have multiple answers. <laughs> um, I like to ask everybody this phrase or like how to apply this phrase in their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So maybe a habit, a way of being. So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. Ooh. Ooh, that's good. Um, hmm. It's funny because during the last year, I've been almost like refusing to self-improve. <laughs> that's okay. Sometimes you sometimes you gotta just like just be in the moment. No, I, I mean, I really think that I, I've been through phases of my life where like I did that, the meditate, I did a, like a meditation retreat for, for 10 days. And I, I've, you know, I've, I've just gone so hard in the direction of, of shaping myself. I, I mean, the eating disorder was like the worst example of that, of, of really like pummeling myself into my idea of perfection. And so, um, I would almost flip it on its head and say it's easiest for it's easier for me to go like to a really extreme place. Like it, it's easy for me. I have a very compulsive personality. It's very easy for me to, you know, get into uh, like a habit such as like when I did have a, an eating disorder, it felt like easier than, than just going with the flow. It felt easier to, torture myself into a regimented routine where I had no agency and no freedom. And um, moderation is so like, I, I'm forgetting your question. Like, What is easiest for me? What is best for me? Okay. It's easiest for me to go to an extreme. It's best for me to practice moderation. That's my, that's my answer. Awesome. Okay. The last question is the name of the podcast is claim it because I feel so often we are like on this path of chasing emotions. Like once I do this, have this, then I'll feel enough. Then I'll feel fulfilled. Then I'll feel successful, like checking off boxes. But usually you rarely like feel that you like might feel it for a moment and then it's moving the goalpost. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like if we focus on it, put attention to it, we can claim those feelings right now. I am enough right now. Oh. I am successful right now. I am fulfilled right now. Wow. And sometimes you got to work on claiming it like every single minute of every single day because our minds are very creative. Um, so what are you claiming for yourself right now? Ooh, wow. Um, I love this. I'm already a big fan of your podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love this. I, I'm claiming being enough without having to be working on something monumental. I encounter when I'm doing these, these interviews, I mean, we we're talking about the fact that like, I'm, I've been on this radio tour and doing tons of interviews. And sometimes people are like, Oh, so what are you working on now? What are you working on next? And, um, there's a impulse, even without those questions, there's an impulse that I've, I've learned that I have when I finish a big thing to notice the void and try to fill it as soon as possible with something to give you meaning, something to talk about. And 
Um, I knew that this was going to happen when, when directions came out. And the thing I'm telling myself when I feel that void is get used to it. (laughs) This is, this is, this is like, the answer is not to give yourself a new book to be working on for three years of your life. To me, the, the thing I'm, I'm claiming is you just finished a book. It's okay to take a break, get to know yourself, expand, notice what's going on, notice what you care about and make a decision about your next book from a place of balance, love, care, make the decision on what to work on when you're, when you don't need it. Does that make sense? Like, cause I feel like I could, I feel like I could pitch three books right now out of a desire for affirmation, for meaning, for busyness. And I know that that's a sign that I have to have a fun summer. Like I, I, I truly, I'm like, I need to be in my body. I need to go to the beach. I need to see my family for the first time in a long time. I need to be a human being. And this goes back to like the whole work-life balance thing is like, I am not my art. I'm not my success. I'm not like, there's a reason I started to treat this as a job is that it's not healthy when it's dictating everything. And so, um, I'm claiming like being, being Hallie as a person and not being Hallie as a productive artist. Yay. And I will offer a direction for you that came up when you were even like, get used to it. What, as soon as you said that my direction is enjoy the void. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so easy to see that as something really scary. Like, Oh my God, I have all this time now and, and I'm not writing every day. Like, like I haven't drawn, I've done two drawings in the last two months. Like I I'm not making work on the regular and because I'm promoting a book and it can be really easy to, to panic and to, to really like see that as something slipping away from you. And, and like the more books I make, the more I get, get able to enjoy it. Like you said, and, and say, there's going to be another book and I'm going to wish I'd had a fun summer. <laughs> like I, 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 I really want to savor the, the freedom of this and know that when I, I mean, directions is all about savoring the void. I mean, this book is all about get up, get out of your head, go smell a jasmine bush, look up at the sky and marvel at the fact that you're alive. And when you're on a treadmill of success, book, meaning, artist, identity, ego, you are not out there like putting your feet in the sand or whatever it is. And um, I really think this book is like the biggest like message that I could hit myself over the head with. It is like, don't worry about the the like scramble to to assert your creative identity or whatever you are it you are enough go have a nice day this won't this book won't matter in the end like you you still are a human being and need to like treat yourself as such absolutely all right i hope you all loved that conversation and i realized after the fact too that the first book that I am writing called F the Shoulds Do the Once, that 
that the reason I am writing that as my first book, which is now is of course, like, of course, this had to be my first book, but it wasn't going to be. And a past podcast guest, Carly Wiesel, if you remember listening to her episode, I had come to see her that day to record in person and was like, I just got my idea to write my first book and it's going to be this. And then we started talking about the shoulds came up and she was like, that needs to be your first book. I was like, well, that was going to be my second book. And she's like, no, that has to be your first book. And I left that podcast conversation like, yes, this is my first book. And um, yeah, so just interesting, you know, um, because we talked about Hallie and how like getting the ideas for books and how that happened and how she sort of needed that for her first book. And I then realized afterwards, like, wait, that somewhat happened to me, too. It was still me being the one like I'm going to write this book and pitching the book and everything. But um, yeah, like I needed Carly to be like, no, that's your first book. And then me to be like, you're right to actually get in gear. And then like it was all in. Very cool to think of. You just never know. Yeah. So say things out loud. Put yourself out there. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> okay. For show notes, uh, including a link to that episode, go to yourdrologist.com backslash podcast, and you'll find all the episodes there, including ones, um, including the notes for this podcast, obviously. <laughs> for more on Hallie, HallieBateman.com. She's at Hallie Bateman on social media. Those links will also be in the show notes. I am now at underscore Trisha Huffman. And I also have at your dryologist still, but that's more for my products and such. But you can reach me at both those accounts and my website, yourdryologist.com and trishahuffman.com. Things are shifting and changing over here, and that is exciting. Um, I would love for the final thought, which again, I'm always wondering, do people even tune in all the way to the end to get the final thought? <laughs> um, what is something that you can claim for yourself right now? That could be claiming a way that you want to feel. I am enough. Like I claim I'm enough. It could be like I claim I'm a writer. I claim I'm an artist. And it could that you know, there might not need to be any, there might not be any evidence of that yet. Just but like claim it. I'm a dancer. What is it that you want? Claim it for yourself. Claim it, claim it, claim it. Thank you for listening.